<laughs> You're not making my job any easier, Jake. <laughs> yep. Going off the rails with the whiskey train. <laughs> Stop it. Dummy. Okay. guys guess what it's another episode of metal rock and whiskey i'm sailor and i'm going off the rails on a crazy train i'm going off the rails on a crazy train so listeners on this show we do typically compare two albums from one artist against each other we discuss usually argue and then very professionally debate the merits and in the end only one album or artist reigns supreme yes we do And this week, we start our Prince of Darkness series. That's right. We will be discussing and debating the man himself, Ozzy Osbourne. We will begin the series discussing Black Sabbath, of course, and then take a walk through the long and legendary career of Ozzy. Shut up! And something else that's equally important, we are all whiskey nerds. And on this show, we not only drink copious amounts of whiskey, but we also love to talk about it. Each show, one of us will pair a whiskey with the theme of the show, and tonight, that will be me. Hey, Jake, before we get into this discussion, we should probably say hello to our better halves. Sup, Matt and Ed? Hey, guys. Sup, guys? guys? How you doing? How we doing tonight? Oh, I'm actually... Getting crazy in here. <laughs> Ready to have a few drinks. Took, took the kids to the water park this weekend, the indoor water park, and... My uh, body feels physically assaulted. Yeah, you can't oh, take those man. water parks like you could when you were younger, man. Those things. Oh my gosh, you they beat you, know, you up. Yeah. I tried that one, uh, that one like surfing wave pool thing, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a very experienced snowboarder and wakeboarder, so I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a piece of cake. Nothing no. like that. I jumped on it. I, I'll I'll send you guys the video of it, but I burnt. I went face first right off the bat. Tried it again, flipped. It was great. So you ingested like a quarter ounce of pee over the weekend. Did you know that? Tons of salt water and chlorine. And pee, pee. There's an tight. article about it recently. How much <laughs> pee you ingest for how long you're swimming in a public pool? <laughs> I tell you what, though, my eyes like. There were so much chemicals that they use in the water that just in the air, my eyes were burning worse than if I was at a Bob Marley concert. It's terrible. Imagine what it's doing to your lungs. Ugh. Oh, Ugh. I don't I don't do I don't like doing public pools. It just ugh, grosses me <laughs> out. Ugh. I don't want everybody's like skin particles and yuckiness. I don't know. It's gross. Well, enough. Enough about drinking pee, and maybe let's just drink some whiskey and uh, maybe uh, talk about some rock and metal news, Sailor? Um, all right, we can do that. 
All right, so we're going to do the news a little bit different tonight because there is a big announcement that involves the man himself, Mr. Ozzy Osbourne. So did you guys know that the Osbournes have a new podcast? Oh, I couldn't care a less. Podcast, you say? Really? <laughs> I did not. Yep. Do tell, do tell. I know, know uh, Jack and Ozzy had some kind of a, an adventure show on TV, but I didn't know they did the podcast. Mm-hmm. So apparently the network, MTV, has been trying to bring back, and other networks have been trying to bring back the Osbournes for a very long time. And the family's just like, it is not happening. Um, so uh, the Hollywood Reporter apparently broke the story that there would be a new podcast coming out called The Osborne's Podcast, and there is a one-minute preview of the first episode. Um, You can search for it online. So it's a 10-week podcast, and it's going to launch on March 5th, which is today as we're recording. Um, It'll be Ozzy, Sharon, and Jack and Kelly, you know, the same lineup that was on the original show, and it will be all of them again and um they're not saying exactly how the how they have um organized it or really what the focus is going to be i i'm assuming it's going to be much like the show you don't i think everybody knows now you don't really have to guide these people (laughs) they're just entertaining themselves um so when they asked uh, you know asked them how the podcast came about jack was just like you know, we're never doing a TV show again of the Osbournes. This was like the, this was the alternative to that. Um, so <clears throat> they did talk a little bit in the article about how difficult it was for them to do that show, which they did for three years because they did it in their real house. And Sharon said, you know, looking back, that was a huge mistake because you couldn't just wrap it at the end of the day, leave and go home. It was in your home. You know, they had crews living there 24-7 basically in the garage and they could never get away from it. And it really um, it did a lot of damage to all of them in the end. But it also um, it was also groundbreaking and obviously an insane hit and brought Ozzy Osbourne to like everybody's living rooms. Which is oh, yeah. So mm. weird. Um, I'm sure there's a whole generation of kids who who knows Ozzy Osbourne from that, that reality show guy. And you not- know, the crazy... <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. which is just mind-blowing um show so, is so obnoxious so can't, can't stand that shit it's the 16th <laughs> anniversary today of the mtv debut of the osbournes and so um that's I, I think that's why they released this clip today so um i just thought that was uh very interesting i will absolutely listen to it Oh, I'd watch, listen to the first episode, definitely. Yeah. Just yeah. check it out. Give I, it a I, I'd rather more. slam my head into a wall for a minute. See, I will listen to Ozzy <laughs> talk about anything. Um, I could care less what the kids have to say. I've never been a fan of them, sorry. Um, but I'll listen to Ozzy talk about I could listen to him read the phone book all night long. I just, I love him, so... Um, watching, watching that show was always, to me, it was like it was like going to the uh, the monkey exhibit at the zoo. You weren't going to learn anything. You were just going to watch a bunch of crazy idiots move around and, See, throw, I, throw, so and throw shit yeah. at each other. I didn't like the show because I felt like it was so uncomfortably real that this poor man just wanted to like 
live his life and retire and just chill. And his kids were terrible. They were, they were had no discipline. They were complete assholes. Sharon was just a, she was just a, God, she was so overbearing and just was, I feel like she's been trying to work him to death. Um, and I can, I remember specifically, like they, they might've been in New York for the weekend or something. And Sharon and Kelly come back from shopping and he's like, Oh fuck, I guess I'm not retiring for another 20 years or something. Cause they had so many shopping bags. <laughs> and she made a joke about, yeah, you're never going to retire Aussie. And I was like, Oh my God, what a fucking bitch. Slave driver. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Let's oh, man. fucking relax and just, you know, yeah. So that is this week's um, news. So we're going to head on over to Jake, who is going to do our whiskey segment. And uh, so what do we have to drink tonight? What do we have to learn about? What do we have to talk about? Well, let's kick off this weekly whiskey pairing. Today we will be discussing Kentucky Owl Rye. Today's whiskey segment, we're going to be talking about Kentucky Owl Rye. It's an 11-year sourced rye. <clears throat> Excuse me, coming in at 110.6 proof. Uh, so, why did I choose this rye to go with Black Sabbath? Oh, thanks for asking. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this particular rye happens to be a batch of sourced 11-year barrels, which means that for it to come out as great as it did, and let me tell you. This this batch came out absolutely phenomenal, uh, super complex, just start to finish. It's phenomenal. But to do a batch like this, it requires several people working together in their own talents. And in this way, I feel that Black Sabbath, again, for its first 11 years, had very talented people blending their talents to produce, in my opinion the best music that they ever did. This rye is also touted as the wise man's rye. So I'll put this to you. If wisdom is represented with an owl, one can only assume a bat is just the opposite. <laughs> Are you calling my Aussie a dummy? I'm just leaving it there. Just going to yeah. leave it there. <laughs> and that is our whiskey for the evening. So I have right. not thanks for that, Jake. I have not tasted that this year, which is a bummer. Um I couldn't find it anywhere in Ohio. Nobody that I knew could find it. Nobody had it. None of the bars that I um did tastings at had it. So this one has eluded me so far. But um I put it on the list. Remember I told you guys that I've been helping <clears throat> excuse me, my uncle get into bourbon. And I send him lists and he's he goes out every week and buys a bottle off my list. He'll drink it, take a picture of it and like give me his tasting notes. 
in the text message. It's been amazing. So he's well, that, oh yeah, and he's that like first time you took him out, you guys found some Kentucky owl rye that day. It but was he wasn't not, ready. He wasn't ready to spend the money on it that no, time. No, no, he wasn't. And I couldn't. I how much was that? Do you remember how much it was? I couldn't. It, I couldn't. I, I remember it was, it was like 120 it was bucks, 130 because, bucks. Yeah, like MSRP that. was 130, and I think you guys were in New York. Is that where you were? Yeah, and it was like New York. Yeah, it was pretty close to like 130, yeah. which I mean, it was. That's pretty great. I couldn't do it that day, and he wasn't ready. But um, I told him to go back there and see if they have any. He gets. He's like it's, he's getting it now. When I tell him you have to go grab that, he understands now why he has to go grab it. And now he'll like send me pictures of things. Is this anything special I need to buy? Um, so, so he's gonna go. That's his next purchase. I said you better find it and grab it. But the awesome thing is that he's saving half a bottle for when I come go back to visit. So he's got like 20 bottles now. He's like, we're nice. going to have one hell of a tasting. I'm like, Jesus, they're going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, that the, the price point, uh, when I first got it, I was skeptical because I, I love Pikesville at, and that's at like 40 bucks. I mean, if we're talking, mm. I, I love baby Saz and Rittenhouse, you know, in that $20 range, those are fantastic. Yeah. And those are, you know, more in that, what, like four to five year range. Pikesville steps it up to a six-year barrel proof, which is fantastic. So my thought was, do I love this? Am I going to like this that much more than Pikesville to justify the price? And I can tell you that that this is the third bottle that I'm on right now. Now I've taken two <laughs> two other ones to to tasting events and sampled them out to our bourbon club. So and everybody has absolutely loved it. I have I've yet to meet anybody that didn't love it. Yeah, I've it's, heard nothing but good things about it. So I've been so anxious. Um, I've been so, so anxious to try it. If I found it in a bar, I'd probably buy a, buy a, glass, buy a pour of it. But that's probably the only way I'd ever try it. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd, I could bring myself to spend that much money on a bottle of anything. I don't care how mind-blowingly good it was. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and you know what? It, when it comes to... Taste is not just the the relative part of bourbon. You know, there's also how much you want to spend is absolutely, uh, you know, a relative issue per person too. Because I, I like I said, I take that in complete consideration. Is there has to be a balance between how much do I like this as opposed to how much am I willing to spend on it? And there has to be an exchange of value there. That's uh, oh, exactly. That's that's a good point, actually. Like, um, you know that I don't think we often talk about how do we, and, and I get asked this so much because I'm constantly dealing with um, new people who are very new to bourbon and whiskey. Um, so how do you approach what you purchase? Like what are your, what are your guidelines for your purchases? For me personally, um, <clears throat> budget is a big, is a big thing. But it's certainly not the only thing. Uh, I like to know that I'm getting a quality product. I don't. I don't try to discriminate against source products. If something is sourced and it's transparent about it being sourced, and you know, like this Kentucky Owl, it's it's very clear. And Dixon Deadman at Kentucky Owl makes it very clear that his job is that he is a blender. He likes to buy 
you know, barrels and, and blend them. And he's done very good at it. And Trey Zoller at Jefferson is another guy that's very, very open about the fact that he's not a master distiller. He is a master blender. That is what he does. And, and I know, uh, probably up until recently and probably still today in the American whiskey scene, the term blender is like a, like a derogatory term, whereas internationally mm. it's a, it's, it's a crown. I mean, oh, to, be a, to be a master blender is in most houses more that's important kind of than the distiller. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think Trey, I totally agree with you. And I, I remember a time when it was such a bad word. I think Trey though has helped to change that because he's been so successful with Jefferson's and he's been so vocal about it. And he's so out there forward Man, in his company. Completely embraced it. Completely embraced exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. And he's very he's very much a presence in his company mm-hmm. and very, very approachable, you know, in marketing. So I think that he's made huge strides in changing that. I, I do. Do you think people still feel that way? I don't know. That's... I think less and less. I, I think when when you look at the big names that are sourcing and blending these days and, and being more open about it, um, you know, whether it's whether it's us as consumers being more educated on how to read a label uh, might be part of it, that that people are understanding how to look at a label and see that it, that it says uh, bottled in or, you know, distilled in. And when those are different states, even that 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 means that that's a source product. And I think I think the consumer, hopefully with podcasts, you know, such as ours, hopefully, and other podcasts and different websites and publications are educating consumers and thus forcing uh, forcing the distilleries and the blending houses to, to, to do their due diligence to bring us a good product. Well, not just that, but I think there has to be an established, a track record of good blends. Very true, very true. Out there for people to, you know, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, because blending bourbons is a relatively recent kind of phenomena, isn't no. it? No. See, no? No? I mean, but good ones no, no, I'm talking no. about. This is good something ones. that I talk about in my whiskey classes all the time. Unless it says single barrel on it. I was just going to say, Ed, Ed, what all, are you drinking tonight? Yeah, it's all, it's all <laughs> blended. Is it? <laughs> oh, okay. I, well, different, yeah. I mean, there's, there's True, blending different products and there's blending your barrels. Yeah. But this is why that used to piss me off, the whole blended thing. But it came, that's a whole other story. It came from... Yeah after Prohibition and Canadian whiskey and blah, blah, blah. Um, well, and before that too, with um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the blending houses. Rectifiers? No, 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 no. Oh, crap. I, I'm losing my words. I'll come back to it. It'll, it'll come back to me. <laughs> the point is that you're blending anyway. So if you are a master distiller that is, you're working for a large outfit, you have to blend however many barrels to get your product to be, to taste exactly as close as you can to what it was last time you bottled it to keep consistency. That Mm -hmm. is blending. So you also have to be somewhat of a master blender or you have a master blender in your, in your outfit, in your house, or an assistant distiller that's more of a blender, et cetera, et cetera. So you're blending anyway, you know what I mean? So, oh yeah. blending, But choosing, going out there and choosing different whiskeys, you know, I'm going to take this, buy this from this guy, this, 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 and this, and I'm going to blend it together and make my own product. That's another thing, you know, and then there's 
I guess that's that's more what I'm talking about when I talk about it being a little more recent kind of a, a deal is like you said like you said going out and picking different barrels from different places or whatever and trying to make something unique. Yeah, I think I think whereas you know people like Dixon Deadman for instance with uh, with this owl uh, with the owl products is he's doing the opposite. He's batching and blending to try to get something totally different each time. And then just to just to find a flavor that blows his mind. Whereas if you are the blender at Maker's Mark, for instance, they want every single Maker's Mark bottle to taste exactly, exactly the same. The same. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so they're going for a consistency. I think I think, uh, you know, I've read in a, a few different books that as far as bourbon goes and in the modern era that that Booker No is kind of attributed been attributed as maybe the lead pioneer in in uh in maybe that blending for different flavors when they did the the Booker small batch editions where they were still blending barrels but but kind of each batch they wanted to be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost well, like a single barrel feel in a small batch setting. And it's also like Jimmy Russell has talked about his favorite spots in the Rick houses. You know, he's got his favorite shelves, his favorite spots, his sweet spots. And he would he was using those spots to get his product to taste consistent every time. And then, you know, it, I think I think when his son came to, you know, he's still called the new kid and he's been there for what, 30 <laughs> years or something. You know, he's like, well, let's use but let's use that mentality and that, that thought process to come out with something a little bit different, too. And, yeah. you know, so, yeah, the old guys were trying to be really, really consistent. Of course, the word I was looking for previous was rectifiers. That's what Ed said. That's what I said. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> in here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the rectifiers is what gave blending first, gave blending a bad name. We didn't want to have right. a whiskey because they were putting all kinds of garbage in it. And then after Prohibition, you had Canadian blended whiskey, which was garbage upon garbage, still is, in my opinion. <laughs> and that, one. that was most readily available. Sorry, Canadian. Oh, there goes um, America's hat. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they they call it rye, but there's no, there's hardly any rye in those those whiskeys. It's it, mostly it corn. Like, it's mostly corn and wheat, but they like to yeah, call it, it would, they like to call yeah. it rye. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like I'm saying this is a barley whiskey because we use five percent malted barley for the fermentation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, Very small percentage of rye. Right. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they are stupid. Just call them stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Garbage upon garbage. <laughs> no offense to any Canadian listeners right now. There goes all our Canadian listeners. Tying back to uh, this whole um, the price point thing, I think the most I've ever spent on a bottle of whiskey was uh, $60 for a bottle of the Old Forester 1920. <laughs> and speaking of master tasters, I bought that bottle on the recommendation of literally from Jackie's eye can I was chatting with her and I was asking her some questions about old Forester whiskeys and I mentioned that I tried the uh, <clears throat> name dropper <clears throat> excuse um, me <laughs> excuse me <laughs> sorry <laughs> tried the uh it was like their 100 proof signature series and I didn't care for it and I explained to her how it tasted to me and she's like you know you really ought to try the um I I, I told her kind of what 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 I liked in uh uh, flavor profile and she said you should really try the 1920 i think you'd probably like that one so i went out and and bought it and it was good that's good very good 
That's it? What? That's what, what else do you want from me? Fantastic. I love that expression. God, I love it. So worth the price. No, it, it is a very good whistle. It's it's one that it, I, it I, I savor. It represents so much more than just you know a great flavored, great proofed whiskey because it's the one thing that Old Forester is just doing so much better than everybody else right now is that they're putting out a phenomenal product at a reasonable price and making enough of it for all of us to get it whenever we want it and not just playing the uh, you know the the not enough around overhype and sell out game so i applaud them for that yes mm. yeah that's one that is findable <clears throat> all right well that was a great discussion on whiskey and now over to sailor for the timeline so to begin our Aussie series, we thought it was fitting and just really correct to start off with Black Sabbath. Not only because it is Aussie's start in music, but also because Black Sabbath defined the style and genre of music that Aussie would make his career in. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at Black Masses. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind So Bill Ward and Tony Iommi were in a band called Mythology in 1968. That band broke up and they wanted to form a new band that would be a heavy blues rock band. Black Sabbath was formed in Birmingham, England in 1968 by guitarist and main songwriter, like I said, Tony Iommi, bassist Geezer Butler, singer Ozzy Osbourne, and drummer Bill Ward. Geezer and Ozzy were in a band previously called Rare Breed prior to creating um, Black Sabbath. Great whiskey. And that was, I was just going to say, my <laughs> favorite whiskey. Um, <clears throat> and listen to this. This cracks me up. So Ozzy put an ad in a local music shop that said, Ozzy Zig needs gig, has own PA. <laughs> 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 That's how they found him. <laughs> so they're often called an English hard rock band, mm. and other times they're referred to as pioneers of heavy metal. We will argue about that later. Uh, so here is how their story goes. When originally formed, they were called Polka Tulk Blues Band. That name sucks. They went through some lineup changes, renamed themselves Earth. Then Tony left the band to join Jethro, <clears throat> Jethro Tull bleh, for a hot minute. Not blood, the Jethro Tull. Bleh, so I can't speak. So Earth broke up, then they reformed, and then they became Sabbath. <laughs> the name comes from a Boris Karloff movie called of course black sabbath they changed their style of playing and incorporated more occult and horror themes into their music and tuned down guitars so they were signed to phillips records within a year of their first show and released their first single right away called eagle evil woman not eagle woman <laughs> i'm not even drunk tonight jesus their debut self-titled record was released on friday the 13th in 1970 um, and it was released on a uh, on a label called Vertigo Records, which was a new progressive 
um, smaller label owned by Phillips. Critics were none too pleased, though, with this release. But guess what? Screw the critics, because the album was a commercial success. It went to number eight on the UK albums chart. It's kind of mind-blowing. They immediately went back into the studio to record another album and release it the same year. And that album was, does anybody know? Paranoid. Oh, yeah. So by the time the band releases... um, Seventh Bloody Sabbath in 73, the critics had finally come around and began to understand their sound. But sadly, in 1979, apparently Ozzy's drinking and drugging became just too much for the band, and they fired him. After Ozzy's exit, he was replaced by former Rainbow vocalist Ronnie James Dio. Let's do a toast to the greatest. Boo. What? Boo. Ronnie. Dude. Sabbath should have closed down at that point. The hell? <laughs> Rude. Dude, oh wait, should I say should I save my opinion till after the timeline? Yeah, please. <laughs> <sighs> Ronnie stayed for two albums and the personal the personnel changes continued and would plague the band pretty much forever. So Sabbath has been ranked as MTV's greatest metal band of all time. They are number two on VH1's greatest artists of hard rock. The band has sold over 70 million records worldwide, won two Grammys, and are included in the UK Music Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm going to give you just a little bit of discography here. So uh, <clears throat> they came out the gate with self-titled album Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Master of Reality, Volume 4, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Sabotage, Technical Ecstasy, Never Say Die, Heaven and Hell, and Mob Rules. So, <laughs> so that is the shortened version because they have such a long and interesting career. All of the uh, most of of the uh, members who were in Sabbath um, and the band itself. But so let's talk a little bit, guys, about what your feelings are on Black Sabbath and um, and what your feelings are as Ozzy as the frontman of the band. <clears throat> Let me clarify one thing right off the bat. I think Ronnie James Dio was an amazing vocalist. The guy could sing just, I mean, awesome. I, he just wasn't my style. And and so for Sabbath to me, I, I like I like all the way up until their last, the last album that they did with Ozzy, I, I, didn't, I didn't love it. But all their albums before that, I mean, point number two, not heavy metal, but greatest rock, hard rock band ever. Paranoid has to be what? It's got to be at least top five greatest hard rock albums oh, ever. Yeah. So that al- that awesome. album right there is just, I mean, that was just such an incremental album to the, the growth uh, of hard rock. I mean, what a great album. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Paranoid is amazing. I would say great half album. I think the first half of that album holds up with any album maybe ever made you know, in, I, I, in rock history. The second half definitely loses me a little bit. I, I think the songs, the other songs that are on there that I, that I think you're referring to, Matt, I agree that they don't belong on that album. They're all yeah. really, they're all great songs. I don't think they did a great job of building the album front to back. I, I think that 
some of those it's very, it's songs. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think some of the songs that, uh, that were in the middle second half could have gone on another album mm-hmm. and, or they could have. Well, yeah. Let's talk about, so let's talk about the songs that are on this album. Um, so we've got war pigs, paranoid. So good. So good. And Caravan, Iron Man, Electric Funeral, and Doom, Rat Salad, and Fairy Bear Boots. So, what songs do you what? Let's can we agree on the song songs that we feel are subpar? I I think you. I think the first. I think we all pretty much agree. The first four songs absolutely are what make this album just freaking phenomenal well i know all three all three songs i've heard off this album are awesome the other i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> although that drum that drum solo and rat salad is pretty sick though okay, it is let's, yeah let's play a clip of electric funeral really quick because i happen to love this song so much <laughs> definitely think that belongs on this album i think it's fantastic um i mean rat salad's an instrumental i don't know what about hand of yes. doom you guys don't like hand of doom no it's again i'm not i'm not disagreeing that i like all of the songs on this album i just don't know if they all fit together that well does that make sense uh i just think I just, it's the, the the first three or four songs are so instrumental to their success. They're, they're probably the three biggest songs that they ever made. Yeah, certainly. Being, yeah, I mean, and I think that maybe after you get past those, maybe so, everything else just psychologically is kind of a letdown, you know? So on the uh, first album, on the self-titled album, you listen to it, and I feel like you can listen to the entire album front to back, and you almost feel like you're listening to a movie i mean i feel like that kind of uh uh what's the what's the term macabre or whatever like you're you feel like you're listening to the soundtrack of an old uh gothy horror movie or something but it all flows kind of front to back it it's it's got a nice flow to it with paranoid i mean the songs that are in your face the war pigs paranoid Iron Man, those are just so huge. And the other songs, maybe just, I don't know, it just, it's too choppy or it just doesn't flow front to back for me. But I like all of the songs on the album. I just don't, the album as a whole doesn't necessarily work for me. Interesting. Well, I, I know what you mean about um, self titled. There's only five songs on the album, though. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you're right about the movie thing. It's almost like it's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It's like a thematic album. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, the that was their whole inspiration for yeah. for that's uh, what they were going for. Yeah, right, right, their right. sound to begin but with. Like to compare this one to their other albums is a little difficult in a way because I feel like this was 
done so differently. Do, do you agree? Yeah, I think I, I think the uh, you know the first album was very much to me uh, it, its own kind of like we just said its own work of art. Even just the album covers, super cool, uh, you know, <clears throat> creepy, and and it gives you. A, you I mean, you start. The album starts with the cover. You look at it, you get a vibe, you listen to the music, and it carries out that vibe. You jump into Paranoid, and it's just right off the right off the bat. It's just huge. I mean, you listen to these songs, and you just know they're going to be hits right off the bat. I mean, they're just they're in your face. I think right after Paranoid with Masters of Reality is probably a better comparison to Paranoid. They're, those two albums, to me, are very similar. Master Reality has some kind of, you know, bigger hit type of songs. It, but again, that's another one of those where I like a lot of the songs, but the whole album to its listening to the whole album front to back doesn't necessarily do it for me. But I like all the songs. Listen to their discography on shuffle almost, and, and it's it's equal to listening to it, uh, you know, album to album. I know War Pigs specifically was a very timely song because it um, this was during the Vietnam War. And I think that they were pretty much addressing that with that song, right? Am I correct? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, what about Sabbath Bloody Sabbath? I think, I mean, to me, that's their other standout album. I would agree yeah. there. I, I think, I mean, I think, I think we're starting to get to the point where they come out with paranoid. It's, it's full of hits. And then, and this is what I was talking about that to me, there starts to kind of be this, uh, decline of standing out. You know, you masters of reality has a couple of good songs on it. Uh, volume four has one or two kind of, you know, memorable songs. I, I like a lot of their songs. They just, I think they start to get a little bit repetitive in their, in their groove. And, and then I, you know, that last album that they did with Ozzy, what was that one? Uh, Never Say Never Die. Say Die. I, it feels like they tried to maybe try something new on that album. And I just, they, it just kind of lost me a little bit. I didn't, I didn't really care for the sound on that album. See, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and and Sabotage were the only two albums that I listened to beginning to end, and I probably liked every single song on those albums. Oh, I think Sabotage is a very underrated album from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah, very aggressive. They're probably their most aggressive album, which is probably why I like it. Yeah, Um, I can see that. Yeah, but you know, inspired by what they were going through at the time uh, as well. But I mean, yeah, Hole in the Sky, great, great fucking opening song. I totally agree. So what so I've always looked back on Sabbath and especially when Ronnie James Dio comes in to replace Ozzy. I'm a huge Dio fan. Let me just say that. Huge Dio fan. I saw them live, love the sound of Ronnie's voice. I'm just big fan. I don't think Sabbath would be Sabbath if they had come out of the gate with Ronnie instead of Ozzy. I just feel like Ozzy, I I don't think it's going to be the same band without Ozzy. I think Ozzy made Sabbath. Whatever you want to say about him, he is an entertaining front man. His voice is so unique. His voice is, it's, it's a very 
unique and different sound whether you like it or not it's very it's just different Mm -hmm. and it sets it sets them apart from so many other whether you want to call them hard rock heavy metal like let's say all of their the same bands their colleagues at the time ozzy's voice is a standout voice it's a standout sound well i think i think what's why i love uh black sabbath so much and it, whenever I'm talking about Black Sabbath, to to me, again, like, I, it's not that I, like, hate everything beyond Ozzy again. You know, I just, some of the songs, some of the albums, I just don't care for the sound or what have you. But the early albums, it's such a perfect blend of sounds. Ozzy's voice with Iomi's guitars and the drum, it just all blends together so perfectly it, like the, the the sound is just it, it stands above it, it's such a great great sound it's great great guitars great drums the, the bass sounds great ozzy's voice but then when ozzy goes solo for me i don't like the way that his voice sounds with that other band and again you take black sabbath the band and add another singer and i don't necessarily i just don't care for the way that deal like i said deals a just an incredibly talented vocalist. I, I actually love his voice. I just don't like the way that it sounds with with Black Sabbath. Maybe it's maybe I mean, it's Ozzy, just, it just sounds different or what? No, you're right. I mean, because Ozzy's voice was perfect for Tony Iommi's riffs. Oh, yeah, you know, I got something to. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what I was yeah. trying to say. Yeah, I got something to confess here, and vice versa. Yeah, what? I I what? never knew that Dio was with Black Sabbath until <clears throat> I did my research for this. Oh really? No, I didn't. You know, it was funny because I was listening to um, a Black Sabbath playlist on uh, Amazon Prime Music, and um, all of a sudden I'm hearing the song is like, man, that sounds like a Dio song. And I, <laughs> <laughs> then I found it later. Oh, where's the reason for that? <laughs> well, then they have a. I think yeah. that's that's kind of a a great way of saying it, Ed, is that. It, they did almost stop sounding like Black Sabbath, and now because Dio is such a captivating vocalist, they almost just sound more like Dio. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people have confused the Sabbath albums with Dio on them as Dio, the band. Yeah, like that that happens a lot. That's like I said, I don't think you're Sabbath anymore without Ozzy. I think. Ozzy, you know, this this happens so often in music. Oh, well, he didn't write any music. You know, he didn't contribute anything. All he does is sing this stuff. Yeah, well, apparently, fuck you, that makes a difference. You know, I mean, makes a huge difference. It's still an instrument, someone's voice. And especially if they're a great showman, and he always is, you know, probably when he's sitting on the toilet, he's entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Just watch the Osbournes. So so I could... (laughs) I could absolutely agree with you, Ed, that, uh, you know, let's call it a, we're, we're whiskey fans, not a blind tasting, but a blind listening. I, I bet there's some of the Black Sabbath songs with Dio, if you were to put them in a lineup with, you know, Dio's quote unquote solo uh, stuff, I, I might get a lot of them mixed up. But here's something. Could any of you get Black Sabbath with Ozzy mixed up with Ozzy's yeah. solo stuff? Absolutely no. not. Nope. You couldn't. No. There's no way. It's a completely different sound. And I think that that last album that they did with Ozzy, 
was closest to what Ozzy went and did solo. But I think they started transitioning away from their sound. But there's many reasons why Ozzy's solo stuff sounds so different from Sabbath. Oh, sure. It's not just because Iommi isn't there with him. Oh, which no, no. I, them tell, They were a perfect synergy, of course. But he was also sure. in amazing synergy with Randy Rhodes. Yeah, they, it, was it was a different was, band. Different, they were going for a different sound. For music, too. Different production quality, different technology. Even though it wasn't that many years difference, there was a huge leap in what was happening in music in that time frame. So I think that contributes to it a lot as well. I, I think if you had put Iomi in Ozzy's band, and let's say they're going to play that, right? I, it still wouldn't sound like Sabbath. It, no, I think, yeah, to your, to your, that's a perfect point because I think what Black Sabbath tried to do when, when they booted Ozzy was continue to try to sound like Black Sabbath, but Dio is just that captivating that he took over his sound. Yeah. Oh yeah. Took took over the band. Yeah. Whereas Ozzy wasn't trying to recreate Black Sabbath Part Two. He was trying to do something totally different with completely different sounding musicians. Mm-hmm. And and you know, sign of the times. The the music scene was changing. It was you know he was moving more into kind of that mix of hard rock hair metal kind of music to me. I think that it's it's. I think this is such a good instance for what I say so often and have said so often in these battles that we do. If we talk about you know what if this person was in the band or they were like you know we had our Van Halen battle. Um, you know, is Van Halen Van Halen without Diamond Dave? No, you know, I think just no. Um, Metallica was Metallica after Cliff died. To me, no, not anymore. Is Black Sabbath Black Sabbath without Ozzy? No, no fucking way, not at all. And that I think it, it, Ronnie James Dio is such amazing proof of that. It, look how easy it was for him to completely and totally change the sound and the whole atmosphere of the band um, just because he's so different. He's such a different type of vocalist and they have such, these are two guys with very distinctive, unique sounds. Mm -hmm. You need Ozzy to be behind that microphone to be Black Sabbath. That sets him up for what is going to happen to him later. There would be no more Ozzy Osbourne if he was just any old singer. I I really don't think he would have made it like he did. So, um, it's just without Iomi, without Ozzy, it's just not Sabbath. You need both of them at the very least, the minimum. You need both of those guys. Hey, where's the love for Geezer, man? I love Geezer. <laughs> guy's a well, great I, bass I think player. That, I think I, I think you make. Yeah. I think the point you're making there, uh, and in our Van Halen episode, we we discuss this, uh, you know, with our friends from When Particles Collide. That uh, that when you change out your vocalist. And you're going from, you know, not two vocalists that sound a lot alike. You're going from two very distinguished sounding vocalists that it does. It changes the complete feel of the music. Absolutely. Uh, That's about the most drastic change I think any band can make. Yeah. I I mean, I think, you know, you know, you look at. 
to your point to Metallica, you look at the difference between uh, the bass lines in Master of Puppets and and After, and they're very different because there's two very different bass players, but but the sound is still close. Whereas if you change, I mean, Ozzy and Dio don't sound anything alike. They're very, yeah, very different vocalists. <laughs> and yeah. and Diamond Dave and Sammy Hagar were two mm-hmm. very different sounding vocalists. And it made it change the feel of the music. But then you've got ACDC, like we discussed, you know, I think they both sound very different from each other. However, the feel was still the same. The, mm-hmm. it, exactly. The, the, yeah. they, somehow it was still the same. The, the sound was still the same. <clears throat> Not that these guys weren't um, crucial parts to the music, but they were similar enough. That was just a major fluke. I mean, there's... You might be right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think... You can't plan something but, like that, I don't think. I think it is. It's a fluke that, that two... A very happy fluke, but... Yeah. Well, two vocalists that that were different enough to be individuals their their vocals still worked well enough with the music to where I don't think the musicians felt like they needed to change. Change, yep. Right. Well said. You know, one of the, not to get too far, oh, well, it's still on the subject, but uh, when I was listening to some of the interviews, how many of you have seen the movie, um, oh, the movie This is Spinal Tap, the movie This is Spinal Tap? Yes. So, do you remember when the, the, they had the song Stonehenge? Yeah. When the stone, yeah. the little bitty Stonehenge. You know that that was actually based on an actual thing that happened to Black Sabbath. Yeah. Really? So they had they wanted a Stonehenge um, <laughs> set piece, but the person who cre- they wanted a life size Stonehenge set piece, <laughs> but the people that created it made it three times the actual size. So. <laughs> And one one venue in Canada, they said they couldn't get even get it through the stage door. <laughs> and they they said also they had like it was, this was during their um, uh, Born Again tour, and so you know they had that that creepy devil baby on the cover. Well, they had a midget dressed up like that devil baby, <laughs> and they had him come down, and on top of this Stonehenge. And anyway, I guess they said it. He was split, fell off or something like that, and someone had m- moved the ma- mattress. It, it should be said that in the seventies, in the time frame that Ed is speaking of, the term midget was still yes. politically correct. I'm speaking that. in the vernacular of the time. Creepy midget, Here. devil baby. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and that's so uh, that's a, that's a so, band name. Yeah, so they said the screams were fan from... bases tonight. So we've lost Canada. <laughs> we've lost vertically challenged. Oh boy! <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was pretty hysterical, knowing that that was an actual thing yes, that happened. It, it, it has anybody good. read Ozzy's book, his biography? No, I tried to get it on Audible, but I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> uh-huh. So amazing! Um, I tell people often that you should read it, whether you are an Ozzy fan or not, because. I think we all forget sometimes, you know, we're talking specifically about Sabbath now. The At the time, 1968, if you're in a band in London, 
the bands you are playing with opening up for that are opening up for you or other musicians you're playing with this is an amazing time in music and even I would you know he'd be like and then we played with this guy and then we played with this band and we opened that band I'm like oh my god you know it's just like hitters after hitters after hitters and I forgot about that um but oh my god he's hysterical I mean you can hear when when I read the especially the beginning of the book it's I can hear him telling these stories to somebody it was it's amazing it's so funny um and it's very endearing so i highly recommend i forget what the hell it's called but i highly recommend it for your reading pleasure so um i really have to pee um i i tied it on a little too tight last night and i've been chugging gatorade and i'm literally one laugh away from peeing my pants so uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Ozzy and Sabbath before we wrap it up. was a close one i did not pee my pants everybody everything is okay disaster avoided yes no cleanup on aisle sailor did so, you pee her pants well that depends <laughs> it's okay i'm poised and prepared <laughs> oh, oh man <laughs> it, yo hey <laughs> All right, so um, at this point in our timeline, Ozzy has been fired from Black Sabbath, and he has been replaced. He is flailing. He is he has a serious drug and alcohol problem. He has no career to speak of. His friends turn their back on him, and uh, he's he's just kind of blowing in the wind. And. The ants, my friends, are blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen those things, by the way, just side note, where it's like top 20 or something like that of the most misused lyrics, like misunderstood? Yes. That's one of them that most people think it says the ants, A-N-T-S, my friends, are blowing no in the way. wind. Yes. Or, or excuse no excuse me while I kiss this guy. No. Yes, yes. Oh, that's the one. Yep, yep. <laughs> one of one of my best friends growing up, his dad was a big classic rock fan, and they in their like main bathroom, that was the bathroom book, was like hundred most misquoted song yeah. lyrics in history or whatever. And right on the cover it was like in big letters, like Jimi Hendrix, excuse me while I kiss this guy. 
my favorite. Another one, I saw one recently. My mother is queen. She never knows lyrics. And my sister and I would be like, Mom! And we would tell her over and over what the real, and she just she couldn't handle it. And so I remember one day, she loved Pearl Jam. And so we're in the car. And I had come home to visit, and my sister's about eight and a half years younger than me. And so it's my sister's Pearl Jam tape or CD, whatever the fuck. And my mom's singing, <laughs> sometimes you can't hear her, and sometimes you can. And I hear her singing, can't find the butter man. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 like, mom. <laughs> I'm like, hey, mom, first of all, can't first find the of butter all. Man. That doesn't make any sense. That's just a euphemism. Yeah. A song about finding a butter man. Like, don't you think this through in your head? Don't you go, this doesn't make sense to me. Do you know the butter man? <laughs> your, your, mom, your mom in that impression kind of sounded a lot like Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> the other one that used to drive me nuts is, um, uh, uh, shit, what is wrong with me tonight? I have no brain. Um, Throw me out here. I don't know if Bill you can Collins. top Butterman. Bill yeah. Collins. Bill Collins. She. What the hell's the song? She, she would say. She seems to have an invisible touchest. And I was an like, invisible touchest. What? <laughs> oh. Invisible touch. Invisible touch. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. yeah. Touchest. I'm like, mom. Touchest isn't a word. <laughs> no, you're a teenager. You hate your mom anyway, and everything your parents do are like it's so dorky and uncool. And then she's singing all the wrong lyrics, and my sister and I are freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I brought this. Butter man. Butter man. What? That's one of the best. Yeah. Can't so find good. the butter man. Can't find the butter man. Then she would always be like. You know, like what's what's he saying? Listen to this song. What are they saying? And I would just look at her like, does it matter? Because you're not going to sing the right lyrics anyway. I'm just I'm I'm full of joy because I don't know what your mom looks like, but I'm picturing her and Eddie Vedder just singing in tandem. Can't find a can't find the Butterman, and it's uh, it's, it's a fantastic visual. Recently, <laughs> my sister and I were sending gifts of Mrs. Butterworth back and forth to each other. <laughs> Because my stepdad made a comment about my mom never knowing song lyrics. And so we immediately were shooting back in a group text to Mrs. Butterworth pictures. <laughs> oh, my God. So I think it was because I said Oz, the Oz man was blowing in the wind. Um, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Sharon uh, was already in Ozzy's life, but not in a personal or romantic way. She was working for her father. And guess who actually made the decision to replace Ozzy with Ronnie James Dio? Well, I can't imagine who. Ed? Was it the Butterman? Sharon! (laughs) (laughs) It was not the Butterman. Ed, you are correct. It was fucking Sharon. So, um, next episode of this three-part Ozzy series, we will talk about... (laughs) Stop laughing. (laughs) We will talk about or five, 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 five. We will talk about the beginning of Ozzy's solo career and his relationship with the amazing Randy Rhodes. The so maestro. Come back next week if you don't hate us already for saying very politically incorrect things and 
Um, basically telling Canadians to fuck off, eh? Um, didn't mean it. Sorry. Yeah, I love I love Canadians. They're my I, neighbors. That's okay. They're I'm so kidding. polite. I'm just kidding. I love everybody. Um, so come back next week uh, for our second part. And uh, that's it for me, guys. Well, that was an awesome discussion. So, everybody, what have you all been listening to lately? Podcasts? Bands? Anything uh, you want to share incorrectly. with our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> or incorrect lyrics? Well, we've already discussed that. Uh, how about the Whiskey Cast? Another shout-out to our friends at the whiskey cast definitely give mm-hmm. it a listen if you are interested in whiskey and what's happening in the world of whiskey um they do a really really great job so i highly recommend that podcast and um for music i know what i'm going to be listening to tonight because i just snagged me a new vinyl record what is it oh old school kill them all remastered. no no honestly nice. what's a vinyl record <laughs> It's a vinyl record. No, I know. I'm being sarcastic for all of our younger <laughs> listeners younger, out there. Younger listeners. For yeah. all the millennials. The vinyl's out there. cool these days. It's like retro cool. Everybody's doing the vinyl. So this they all know true. what vinyl is now. It's a big hipster thing now. You can't so. even you can't even use like the uh, the semi dated you know, that's what's in the that's what's in the jukebox at the bar because now it's been like CDs for even the last ten, yeah, fifteen no. years in the jukebox. What's in those little, you know what, when you go to diners, I don't even, I mean, Matt, I'm sure you've got them near you, um, where it's the little, little tiny jukebox. Yeah. Yeah. On your, on your table and you like have to move the thing to flick the sheets to choose your song and you put in like A, B, whatever. And they're on your, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are old tabletop jukeboxes. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell was playing those? You know, honestly, I have never been in a diner where one was actually functioning. <laughs> oh, I thought... <laughs> Most of them are just relics of the past. Oh, no, mine always works. Really? Oh. Those are connected to a larger jukebox over in the corner that you can... It's like a remote control kind of a thing, isn't it? That's oh, what I thought. That's what you're talking about. Oh, could be. wired, because these are from, like, the 70s. The well, yeah. 70s. They probably used to be wired. Probably later than that, though. No? Yeah, you're yeah, right. But you're you remember right. when yeah. the old TV remotes used to be wired? Oh, I know. I remember the cable remote. The clickers when they actually click. Yeah, click. you could only push one. When you push one button, the other one popped back up. If only one could be pushed down <laughs> at a time. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, anyway. What the fuck are we Matt, talking about? how about you? Uh, well, music-wise, and Sailor, you might want earmuffs here, but uh, I've been really just binge listening to Chris Cornell. Whatever Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, Audio Slave, yeah, solo stuff. You know, Sweet. we're that quickly approaching a year since he's passed, mm. uh, and I just find myself listening to more and more of his stuff as we get closer to the, to the one year. Um, as far as podcast goes, I'll do a shout out to a newer podcast. We may have mentioned it on one of our last shows, but Empty Glass Resistance, uh, yeah. with three fantastic people who know their whiskey. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. if you're looking for a new podcast and you like whiskey, check them out. Man, as a, as a diehard Rage Against the Machine fan, when when I found out that, uh, and I also love Soundgarden, and and when I heard that you know Audio Slave was going to be Rage's band with Chris Corn, I wanted I went into it wanting to hate it. 
you know, your your one of your favorite bands breaks up, and it's like, but it was so good. Yeah. Uh, it's just so good. You can't. I would have thought. Oh man, yeah. I, I was almost, I was almost upset when Audio Slave broke up, but mm. then I was at the reunion show for Rage, and it made me feel better. <laughs> yeah, Audio Slave was amazing. Yeah, I actually discovered um, a new new TV show the other night um, called The Shy, um, C H I, not S H Y. Um, it's about, uh, and I hadn't even heard about this um, filming around Chicago or even that it was coming out. But um, yeah, it all takes place um, different people on the south side of Chicago. Um, which I thought would be interesting since my train pretty much goes right through the south side of Chicago. It's scenery I see on a daily basis. And um, so, yeah, so I watched it, you know, obviously looked very familiar. Um, but, yeah, great, great show. Um, the to- topics they tackle, you know, I've only seen one show so far, but, um, you know, about, you know, relations between the uh, black community in Chicago and the police hit on some very, Mm. um, you know, some points that, you know, living in Chicago and seeing the news and seeing people interviewed, it's like, it's like dead on. Um, And so I would recommend, you know, if you're curious, you know, if you like shows like that, it's definitely worth a watch. I will definitely continue um, watching it. Um, Yeah. I mean, especially since it's, it's so close to home here. So it's not a show show about shy people just standing around being shy. Exactly. That's why I specified (laughs) it was spelled C-H-I, not (laughs) S-H-Y. It's not like S-H-I-A, like Shia LaBeouf or something. It's not a documentary about him or something. (laughs) Remember that song? To shy, shy. Uh, Shish. No more singing. No singing. (laughs) So for me, uh, my wife and I, we've actually... We've been we've been binging through uh, this this brand new show. Have you guys ever heard of the show called The Sopranos? Oh my just god! Oh, no. yeah. We just we never we were never just joking. We were never on the on the bandwagon early, and so we've been watching all the way through from season one. We're uh, like halfway through season four, I think. Oh at this my point. god! Wait till next. And uh, man, what a great series! Tony is a man. It's, oh, it's so good. Every episode. And you know, it's it it it's kind of one of those things that you watch it and it is like there's so many great moments. Uh it, it, James Gandolfini is just so brilliant in the role. But there's okay. so many moments when he's at his peak of brilliance at a at a at a performing moment and you're like, ah oh, God, this guy just went too soon. You know, mm-hmm. there's that there's yeah, that kind of yeah. bittersweet moment where you're appreciating what he brought, yeah. and yet it's like sad almost for the fact that they'll never this can never happen again. I know he can never reprise the role or anything. It's just it yeah, but not to be a downer, but yeah, we've been loving that. He's and dead. I've also been uh, what? Yeah, he is. He passed away a couple of years ago. The freak oh, passed. I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. <Missed> that one. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'm sorry, I honestly didn't know. Oh my god! Hey, he's he's watching videos of midgets falling off Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> In the you might you might miss a celebrity death or two, you know. 
All right. So <laughs> hopefully we haven't offended too many people on this show. <laughs> and we just want to give a uh, <laughs> big thanks to uh, all of our remaining listeners. And um, ask you to please join us next week for another episode of the Metal Rock and Whiskey Podcast. Matt? And to all of you out there, our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey Obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Please find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes. Please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. Please feel free also to do the same on our Facebook page. Search Metal Rock and Whiskey. Ask to join to continue discussions, participate in polls, and sound off on the show. Find us on YouTube, and please subscribe on iTunes. Give a review. Just don't be a jack-off. Give us that five-star rating. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E. Ed? You can find me at Bourbon Geek on Instagram. Sailor? Um, you can jack off, but you can't be a jack off. Just want to make sure that's what we're saying, right? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Just so I understand. Cool. Um, you can find me being inappropriate always at Sailor Retro everywhere. <clears throat> oh boy. This is... <laughs> How do I that pretty much that? sums it up. <laughs> this is this is a blast, guys. This is one of my this is a very fun episode to record. Uh, you can find me uh, at bourbon.spartan on Instagram. Um, you can find our Patreon page at patreon.com slash metalrockwhiskey. Uh, you can also find that information in our profile on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the Facebook group. It's awesome. Uh, thank you, Ed, for making this rambunctious derailing sound good through your editing process and sailor for giving us lovely discussions to talk about this was a ton of fun guys i hope all of you listeners enjoyed it as much as we did but my glass is empty it's time to go tip your waitress we're out bye everyone later sorry canada Sounds great. So today we're talking uh, part one of our Ozzy Osbourne slash Black Sabbath series. Yes? No? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. No. I think I went off the rails. Crash. Stick to your script. (laughs) Well, for this episode's whiskey segment, I decided to go with Kentucky Owl Rye. It's an 11-year source. Read the script. I thought you kind of said that part, so I thought you just went like this to go to the music clip. Read the script. Read the script. (laughs) Okay, as I said, for this whiskey segment, I'm going to be talking about Kentucky Owl Rye. It's a 11-year source rye. It's a hundred and... Huh? My wife just my wife. What just happened? What the hell is that? I don't know. I don't know why. You get a feedback loop here or something? I was like, there's two, there's two Jakes talking right now. No, my audacity.
audacity just all of a sudden started fucking playing what we just recorded. I don't know why. Well, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Ed, are you still with us? Hold on. (laughs) I am with you, but not prepared. (laughs) Matt, what you been listening to that you like? All right. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, Canadian midgets. Love you, Alaska. You're supposed to blame Canada, not apologize to them. Love you, Hawaii. <laughs> hey, Scotland, I'll see you soon. Hopefully, you, there's I- hopefully there's no like Canadian midget relation to James Gandolfini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> That person's really offended. (laughs) (laughs) That person just deleted our podcast from his goddamn phone. He was like, I am sick and tired of these sons of bitches. Given my Uh, our first one star rating. Who has like who has like large posters all over his room. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I love I love metal and whiskey, but I just can't take this this uh, discrimination. Every time I say fuck you, Lars. A Canadian Stonehenge midget cross. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, Canadian Stonehenge? <laughs> I think that's, that's the best thing I've ever said on this whole podcast. Canadian midget cross. You guys, I think we have to end the podcast <clears throat> forever. I don't know if I'll ever say anything as brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag life goals. <laughs>